I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Mobile hunters, if you're looking to up your mobile game, head to tetherednation.com and check out all of their saddle gear. Regardless if you're new to saddle hunting or an old tree climbing veteran, Tethered will have your mobile hunting needs covered. I've been using and trusting Tethered gear since they launched and have used it in all types of hunting situations from the mountains of Pennsylvania to the plains of Kansas. It has been the constant in my hunting gear and allows me to be as mobile and as versatile as the hunt requires. My favorite pieces of gear currently is my Phantom Saddle, the Ultralight One Stick Climbing Sticks, the Predator Platform, and the Fast Pack, which is the best hunting pack for a mobile hunter in my opinion. Also makes a great scouting and trail camera hanging pack. If you're looking for gear to help up your game and be more mobile keeping you in the hunt, then head over to tetherednation.com. Welcome to the Truth From the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 342. Today, I'm joined by my buddy, Steve Shirk. If you want to know how to use the 30-30 days to kill more mature bucks, stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. I am presently dragging ass as I'm recording this. Just uh, literally just got back home uh, to my homestead. Spent the past weekend back in my my hometown uh, visiting family. It was my grandmother's 90th birthday. So lots to to celebrate there. 90 years. It's kind of crazy to think, um, you know, how old I am. And then the fact that she's that much older, <laughs> uh, but she looks great. She still gets around. Uh, she was happy to see everybody. Saw a ton of family. I hadn't seen in a long time, uh, talking deer and just family friends and stuff like that. I haven't seen in a long time. Some people, good Lord, you know, some people it was, you know, one guy I spent probably an hour catching up with. I probably hadn't seen him in 30 years, probably, you know, since I was a kid. Um, and I, he was, I always, he was always around and I always saw him whenever I was a, when I was a kid and stuff like that, working at my, you know, my grandfather's and then my aunt and uncle's uh, feed, uh, feed and farm supply store. Um, so it was awesome to catch up with him, talk hunting with a bunch of family members, swap some deer pictures, and just kind of got me that much more excited for uh, the upcoming deer season. I was hanging out at my dad's and actually ended up seeing a huge bear walk across his yard, which was kind of cool. So I've had I've had my fair share of bear encounters this year. I think I'm solid on that. So 
And if we can go ahead and put a cap on the <laughs> on running into yogis at random times, that would be a good, especially as I get ready to go check trail cam- uh, trail cameras in the North Piece and just you know finishing up my odds and ends here as the as the summer kind of barrels along and we head toward um, and we head toward the fall. But without further ado, we're going to go ahead and just jump into today's show. Have a super cool show for you guys today. Have on Steve Shirk. A lot of you've probably heard of Steve. Um, he's well known, especially in the the kind of mountain buck circles. Um, if you will, I had Steve on years ago. Um, he and I did a couple part series just kind of talking about, you know, really how he taught tackles, you know, hunting mountain bucks at different times of the year and things of that nature is really kind of what the first, I want to say mini series he and I did together. It's probably been almost probably pretty close to two years ago. And, um, you know, I always like to talk to Steve because he's just one of those guys. He spends a ton of time in the woods. And I know a lot of guests that we have on or that I have on, you know, I kind of mentioned how much time they spend in the woods. And it is true for, you know, all the guys that come, that come on by and large. Like they spend, you know, more time in the timber than the average Joe. Um, but Steve, you know, especially because, you know, if you don't know, he runs a kind of guiding service in the public lands of uh, a large piece of public land in Pennsylvania and takes guys and puts them in good spots and, you know, tries to get them on deer, you know, during the course of the fall and stuff like that. And so part of what he's doing is he's out, you know, he's got to be out kind of surveying the ground and, you know, figuring out how deer are moving. And he runs a ton of trail cameras and he has mountains and mountains and years worth of kind of long-term data in, um, in the mountains that he's hunting in. Um, and plus he's just been doing this for years. I mean, he grew up in this area and he spent his life in, in these woods and he's got kind of a, a career set up to where, you know, like the, the guiding thing is part of his career. And he also owns another comp- another business that he runs. And his schedule just allows for him to also kind of be out in the woods a lot. So there pretty much isn't a day that goes by that he's not in in the woods. And uh, it's always interesting to kind of get his perspective. And, you know, especially, you know, selfishly for me, as I'm kind of continuing to dissect this North piece and stuff like that, bouncing things off him, you know, and, 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 and kind of running my hypotheses by him to see if some of the things that I'm seeing are things that he has seen in the past and helps me kind of understand that maybe I'm making the right decision and it's not just you know, I'm seeing this thing. Maybe I saw it once and I'm wondering, is there a trend here? And I can kind of talk to him about it and say, Hey, I'm seeing this. Is this a trend that you have seen? And then I don't have to necessarily wait the three, four or five years to see the trend. I can kind of take his word for, you know, what he has seen similarly and and similar kind of topography and terrain, and then kind of take that and be able to use it, you know, and not have to wait to kind of get the data myself. I can kind of use him as as a, as a resource, you know, and, and he's, and he's happy to do that. You know, we, what we kind of talk about in this episode isn't necessarily how he hunts and different kind of aspects of the season and stuff like that. We've covered that in the past. Um, but a lot of what we talk about in here is just like if you're hunting, you know, mountains and, 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 and deer in the mountains in general, we talk a little bit, you know, not a little bit. We talk quite a bit about, you know, how they transition in fall and how he goes about relocating a deer that might have transitioned. How far do these deer transition that he's typically on in the summer? And really kind of talking about the stuff you guys are going to be seeing in your summer trail camera data and what it might mean as you start to get into fall. And can you make a plan around that? And if so, like, how do you do that? And if a deer kind of moves on you, like, how do you refine him, especially in the mountains or in these, um, in these big wood settings? And we talk a lot about, you know, what Steve calls, um, areas or places of abundance. And you'll hear us kind of talk about that. I won't kind of give that away. I'll let him kind of explain it. Talk a little about clear cuts, but maybe not in the quite the way you might think. Um, cuts are still good, but they're becoming more and more of a, um, 
a very specific, if they fill a very specific type of role, I think in a lot of guys strategy or should fill a very specific type of role in a lot of guys strategies, um, as opposed to relying on them as a large part of their strategy. Great for finding deer, maybe not so good for hunting deer just because they draw a lot of attention. And we talk a lot about that. And then the big thing that we talked about, like I said, he runs a ton of cameras. And so he does, you know, he's done a couple podcasts where he's talked about what he's found and all this data that he's gone through. And so we don't really dive into that because he's done podcasts on that where, you know, where he's gone into detail about it. We're not going to beat a dead horse here on, on, on this episode. Um, but what I did want to know is, you know, that he, now that he's had time and he's talked about it a bunch, like what are the handful of things that are really useful for a hunter to use, right? You can get into the minutia of data. You know, I, I work in data every day as, as a career and you can get paralyzed by it. And so what I wanted to know is for the hunter out there, you guys, what are the three, four or five things that he has learned from all this trail camera inventory that he has that people can actually take and use in the woods? Like what are things that are transferable and what I call in my line of work, what are those actionable insights that you can actually see, understand, and then they can help you go do something. Um, and so we talk about that. And then the big thing, and, I, and I'll, I'll, I won't bury the lead here. I'll let him kind of explain it because he does a great job explaining it. But when we get to the part where we talk about 30, 30 days, um, you're going to want to pay close attention uh, because those are definitely something when he mentioned those to me, my ears perked up and I immediately kind of, you know, understood how to use those and, and the impact that those um, that those 30, 30 days might have. And he kind of gives you some detail around that. So, so without, without further ado, words are hard for me today. I'm going to go ahead and just jump into the show. And as always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I have on my good buddy, Mr. Steve Shirk. How's it going, man? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing good, man. We were just talking before we started recording that, uh, you know, we finally got a little bit of rain. So I ran outside and mowed my grass like a maniac trying to get it all in because, you know, who knows when we might get rain again and I won't be killing my grass at least. Yep. No, it's the same way up here. And I think it was starting to even have an impact on plant life and mass crops and you name it. So I think basically the whole world or wherever, I don't know how widespread this is going on, but right. a lot of portions, at least of the country, uh, was was dying for some rain so not just not just humans but even in the deer hunting world and everything so it's good to finally see it yeah it's interesting because uh um when we finally got that little bit of rain a couple of the cell cameras i have out it was just like all of a sudden i started seeing a bunch of action like it was just yep. like someone turned the faucet on it was like oh hey you know we got a little rain i'm gonna get out and move around a little bit feel pretty good got a little moisture in the air and yep. uh which is nice to uh nice to see but you mentioned so have you seen like I try to pay attention to it, but I'll be the first to admit that I probably don't pay close enough attention to it. Do you notice a bigger impact on the mass crop when there is a drought or, or you know, we'll just say dry temp or, you know, drier weather versus wetter, wetter weather? Have you noticed any kind of correlation between that and what, what you see in the fall dropping? Yep. I've seen years similar to this. Although this is start, was starting out really bad, but I've never seen it to where it had an impact where we didn't have any mast at all. But what I've noticed is you'll see trees dropping like immature acorns. Mm -hmm. uh, I think because they're getting stressed out. Uh, I, I don't. I can't. You know, honestly, say that I've ever seen it wipe. You know, all the mast out. But you could go from 
likely having a real abundance of mass to, you know, maybe more of a moderate crop or even less if the drought continues. Because like I said, those trees are going to get stressed and, mm-hmm. you know, they'll start dropping too early. Yeah. That, last year, I feel like was almost like the, the inverse of this. Like we had a ton of rain, but we, I feel like last year we had an early frost or a late frost, if I'm not mistaken. Sure. And, and I saw the same thing where a lot of the places that I had, you know, earmarked as like prime time areas that had like, a, you know, good primary scrape, let's say. And, you know, there was a feed tree that was close by, like a white oak that was close by. And yep. I mean, every, I pretty much spent, you know, cause I opened in middle of September. I pretty much spent most of September and the better part of the beginning of August, like every hunt that I did was basically just me going to all the spots I had scouted that had feed trees and trying to find acorns. And I could not find a single, acorn. I finally found one and it was doing exactly what you were saying, which was dropping these super small, immature acorns. And that was it. Yep. And, uh, also talking about frost, at least, you know, for the mountain buck listeners, um, usually what you'll find if, if, if the majority of your oaks are down low and you have several frosts, it usually seems like the frost has more of an effect on the lower elevation oaks. Um, that's exactly what I saw this year is you could tell, you know, you could see the oak trees budding. And then right after the frost, a couple of days later, you see all this brown on the lower hillsides. So you could tell that the lower patches of oaks got frosted but usually the higher elevations do okay so if you got oak and high elevations doesn't seem like frost usually has as much of an impact on those higher elevations Hmm. that's interesting is there any not to put you in a spot do you have any hypothesis as to why that is because i would almost think the the opposite would be true yeah you would think it's cold but usually what i find this time of year and i'm no weather expert but it seems like the frost sets harder down low in the valleys like i live on the way top of a mountain and and like when we had frost i don't know maybe two or three weeks ago uh like there was no frost up at my house but then everywhere down in the valleys was frosted now maybe there's certain times when it's the opposite but i see that more in the spring and early summer if we get a frost it seems to have a greater effect down low in the valleys i think it has something to do with the Maybe the cooler air staying pocketed down low yeah. until, you know, until, you know, later in the morning. Yeah. But definitely uh, that's what I think you're going to see in a lot of places this year is your lower oaks probably won't produce, but the, the higher elevation ones will. Right. That's interesting because as you were saying it, I was just thinking, I was like, I bet that cool air settles in the bottoms and that yeah. and, it need, and it needs that moisture where up high it doesn't settle and they don't, it doesn't have the moisture to produce the frost. The exactly. Same, exactly. Know. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. But how's uh how's your spring been, man? You've been uh all good, all all systems go. I know you spend like almost every waking moment in the uh, in the timber. <laughs> yeah, it uh I will say things were a little slow for a while because with landscaping it was really tough this year finding any any help. I mean, some years I've had up to like 20 guys and I had a time where probably 3 4 weeks ago I only had two mm-hmm. and most of the jobs like the landscaping projects I was doing on my own, so it was getting pretty hectic between that, my son playing baseball, me being the head coach. But once school let out, I had a bunch of high school kids lined up, and we've really got caught up a lot in the hurry. So in the nice. past week or so, I feel like I'm kind of back on schedule, back in the woods about every day. Uh, I usually, you know, I'm not. it's not like every day, all day, but I usually try to, you know, get out a couple hours. I, you know, I don't have a gym membership, but I will say hiking <laughs> mountains every day, even for a couple hours, I'm telling you, 
it will it will do you good enough. So yeah, uh, you know, I'm back in my typical routine. Hopefully, it lasts. Nice. How's the how's the skipper uh, role treating you? You guys you guys winning some ball games or what? Yeah, we uh, we've just finished up. Uh, let's see, Saturday and. We had a good season. We we almost went undefeated. We only we only lost one game, but uh, it uh, my son's seven, so it's just starting to get where you start to get competitive, and mm-hmm. the kids are developing, and you know it's just a really really fun time to be a coach and you know around that age class and yeah. uh, just it just it went it went from t ball to like I, I don't want to say misery, but it was <laughs> really challenging, but. It, kids kids are starting to catch the ball hit the ball yeah. understand the game so it's getting a little better yeah i remember when my daughter was younger um and she you know played soccer and mm-hmm. i mean i it was just like the first game or two was like funny you just kind of laughed you know and then after yep. like the first like the second game you're like oh man somebody kill me this is excruciating <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know because yep. they don't they don't have any concept of how to you know they're just kids they don't know what they're doing you know yep. but they all just run toward the ball and they kick the ball back and forth to each other within like a three-foot area you know yep <laughs> i know just what you mean we do soccer as well so it's yeah. it's just uh like i said it's it's fun to finally be able to see the the competitiveness being brought out understanding how to play and wanting to win and playing hard all those things mm-hmm. it's pretty neat yeah so uh, let, let me ask you this question how into mountain bucks is he um, you know, he's into it, but honestly, I don't know. I can't, I can't quite remember how much I was into it back then. I wish he was into it more. Um, but he's so involved in sports that it kind of takes up a lot of that sure. extra time, you know, between school and everything else. Today we went out and we put a camera out. I mean, he loves it when he's out there, but he's got so much going on right now in his life that, you know, it's, it's, it's not like the top of the priority list. And that honestly doesn't bother me a bit. So, right. yeah. 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 That'll come, that'll come soon enough. The bug will bite him, you know, and then <laughs> yeah. the addiction starts and then you're afflicted the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But uh, you ended up, uh, you killed a good bird, didn't you? A, mount, uh, a mountain bird, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I did. Um, it, uh, it was a really rough start for me. I, I missed a bird and wounded a bird. So, and I, I mean, I might not to brag, but I might miss one like every five years, but in the first week I had two opportunities that I didn't connect. So luckily the third strike I hit, but, uh, it was, man, it was really good up here this year. Better than I expected. Hmm. Seemed like the the population went up a little bit. There was a lot of two-year-old birds, which they seem like they want to, you know, they want to work with you more and yeah. they gobble more and just makes it a little bit easier. That's, that's what I ended up killing a two year old, but had a nice big long beard on him and he put on a good show in front of me. So nice. I, uh, I was happy to take him. Yeah. You can't ask for more than that. I got out. I think I got out twice. I'm not a big Turkey hunter. Every, anyone who listens to the show knows I always kind of preface anything I talk to any time I talk anything about Turkey hunting. I always say I am the world's <laughs> worst Turkey hunter and I'm okay with that. You know, it's, I go out usually and just take the shotgun for a walk, you know, and, uh, I usually get sidetracked, you know, I, I usually sure. make a good effort, you know, cause you know, especially early in the season, you know, PA you can only hunt till noon. Um, yep. you know, so I usually make a good effort to try to stay focused till, till about noon. Um, uh, <laughs> this year I got up, I was actually in the, in up North in a, in a big woods piece. And, uh, I, I was actually truck camping. I was, I was camping in the back of my truck. So I got like a soft topper on it. And I was like, Oh, sweet. First time <laughs> for a maiden voyage for that, you know, for that piece. Um, yeah. 
And uh, I woke up in the morning and just, you know, I don't know, maybe 200 yards outside of where I was kind of, you know, waking up. There's a bird, you know, ripping, you know, so I tried to work wow. him. He gobbled on the limb. And then once he hit the ground, he, he went quiet. Um, yeah. And then I kind of, in my hunt was basically like, and I was like, well, cool. If that bird's in the area, then I'm just going to kind of stay around here and see if I can't strike him up again. And so yeah. I was making a loop to try to kind of check cameras along the way. And then, <laughs> uh, and uh, I saw a hen, you know, early on and she boogied out of there and, and, and I didn't hear any, any, uh, any goblin or anything and couldn't strike up a bird and, Checked a camera or two, and then I found I got into this one little area that I had a camera, and there was a big scrape that was in there. It was in a bunch of laurel, and uh, there's this little drainage that kind of runs off the side of it. And I knew that there were some uh, some acorn acorns in there. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it was, you know, well, I shouldn't say I knew. There's some trees in there that produced, and I wasn't sure if they had produced because I hadn't checked that camera since I hung it in whenever that was, probably May or something like that, mm-hmm. the year prior. Um, and, uh, as I'm walking up to it, I found a, sh- a, a pretty good shed and I was like, <laughs> all of a sudden, like turkey hunting was over <laughs> and, <Yep. laughs> and I was now full on checking cameras, looking for sheds, like, and it turned into like a deer scout real quick. And that was about the end of my hunting, of my turkey hunting. So my, my turkey hunting lasted probably about a total of four hours this year, to be honest. <laughs> well, if I was in your shoes that day, I would have honestly done the same thing. So you're not telling me something I've never done before. It's uh, when it comes to deer hunting. I mean, I love my turkey, but it doesn't it doesn't match what my passion is for deer. So I yeah. hear you on that. Yeah. Well, the thing is too is like I'm also challenged when it comes to finding sheds. I don't find very many sheds. I've literally been shed hunting with buddies where I've I've stepped over them and didn't see mm-hmm. them. You know. So the fact that I found a shed, I was like, all right you know, the, uh, the deer gods are shining on me today. I should probably just start scouting because I feel like yeah, yep. this is going to be a good day, you know? <laughs> and it was, I got a bunch of real good Intel that day. Saw a couple deer, you know, which was, uh, which was good. Cause I don't see, I don't see a ton of deer necessarily in this, uh, in this particular piece, but, uh, sure. yeah. So it got me fired. It got me pretty fired up, man. Right. No, at the least that's what Turkey hunting can do for you. It can get you in the deer woods more and you can, can honestly do both at the same time. So I, I know just what you're doing and, uh, I, I'm the same way. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. But how was, uh, how was your, uh, your seat, your deer season last year? How'd you, uh, I, f- I think you killed a, a, a deer last year, if I'm not mistaken. I try to keep up with all my buddies and what they got going on, but sometimes, you know, the memory fails me. Yep. No, I did get a, a mature eight point later in our tree, November 12th. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, it was honestly for me though, prior to that really slow, it seemed like, uh, basically for a lot of people, things were really late here. Like the rut was real sluggish until, until we got closer to mid November. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, you know, even for guiding, you know, we killed a few earlier in the rut, but then right around the same fact, the, the weekend I killed mine, we killed, we had two or three clients kill that weekend and our biggest bucks were killed biggest deer overall were november 12th and 13th so mm-hmm. i think i you know hit it on one of those magical days um and uh but no other than that um like i said it was it was pretty slow until then and then you know things really picked up for about a week uh like it seemed like this past season maybe the 12th through the 20th or so even though our tree ends a little bit before that but right. that was probably the best stretch activity that we were seeing i was hunting new york a little bit too mm. um at that time having some action over there i didn't end up uh killing anything though but still 
I'm always happy. I mean, it wasn't the uh, it wasn't the biggest deer I've ever taken, but just to take a mature deer in the mountains, um, I wasn't yeah. hanging my hat about it. Yeah, uh, it's definitely just a challenge in itself. So I don't I don't have any regrets, but there was a lot of things last season that you know I felt I learned and made some mistakes and things I could have done better. So those got written down, and I plan to learn from those things, and hopefully nice. this season will be even better. So uh, not to not to open up old wounds, but what were some of those things? <laughs> um, yeah. So one of the one of the things that that I should have known better on was we, you know, so we had similar conditions last summer and then early fall. Except mm-hmm. what happened was when I when I say conditions, drought conditions, and but then in September we started to get a fair amount of rain, and then like so there was a lot of there was there was a lot of water in the woods and. Uh, so I didn't bank on, you know, any changes, especially in doe activity that would be water-based. So a lot of my, you know, plans and preparations were in typical areas. And then it seemed like right towards the end of October and early November got super, super warm. And I'm talking like first week of November up here was like pushing 80 mm-hmm. and everything dried up, which that pushed all the does down low. And uh, I really failed to stay on top of that. Um, like the funny thing is, is I was seeing a ton of sign up high hmm. and, you know, hunting off that sign, but checking cameras, you know, mainly all night pictures. And I didn't pay enough attention to, to the lower elevation stuff. Cause I really usually don't have success down there. And for the first part of the rut, that's where, that's where clients should have been. Um, just seemed like in that hot weather, that's about the only place there was any action was down mainly in Creek bottoms lower portions and north slopes, like all stuff that I overlook, mm-hmm. you know, I'm kind of always just, sometimes you can be a little bit, you know, one-minded, like yeah. things stay the same every year. And that's not honestly the case. So I did eventually catch on to that, but you know, I was a little late, right. um, but that was probably my biggest, biggest flaw last season that I, I wasn't paying enough attention to what was going on out there. Yeah. That's interesting, man. Like it's just, you know, always having to you know, read the woods, those, those small shifts that we don't, you know, that we yep. sometimes overlook or that we don't think about. I'm curious though, those Creek bottoms are those, you know, you said North facing slope, you know, Creek bottoms, yep. you know, that a you know, little cooler air, you know, down there. Cause it's this, this big piece I've been kind of playing with. I have a little bit of that, that too. Yep. And I've kind of thought about trying to play that, play that action, say like earlier in October when I know it's still warm and they're going to need to either one, get to water or two. Yep want to just get away from where it's warm. Cause I mean, it's literally when you walk up out of that Creek bottom, it's like a five plus degree change in temperature, oh, yeah. just walking out of it. And I'm curious though, is, is this, are these Creek bottoms kind of, are they hemlock lines? Cause the one I'm dealing with, like there's a lot of hemlock in this area. And yeah. so like most of these bottoms are heavy in hemlock. They just kind of create that canopy and that, and that cool area. That's absolutely almost all of our Creek bottoms are that same type of environment. Another thing too, that, that I find is water becomes even more attractive when say like when all the green browse starts to die off and mm-hmm. you know, there's really not, not much as far as them to get water from, from what they're eating. And especially that's about the time that the rut hits, you know, if, if you're not close to a water source, I really think that there, I think that time of hunting season and given the fact that it's the rut, and, you know, they're burning up a lot of energy and a lot of fluids, Water is a huge factor in the rut. 
and what happened last year is like all those upper springs that are all over through most most anywhere any mountain country they were all dried up so mm-hmm. you know that forced deer to want to be closer to water plus like you said we got you know we got brutally warm weather for that time of year so all the water's down low plus the cooler air mm-hmm. and it just was a no-brainer and i'm like why didn't i catch on to that fast enough and like I said, I was only probably week to ten days late on that, but still, you you hate to you 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 feel like you should be ahead of that versus mm-hmm. have to see it happening. Right. I'm curious to get your opinion on this. Like, what do you think? Um, what do you think? Like, I'm trying to figure out how to word this correctly. Like, because it's I don't want to ask like a specific like temperature because that's like not the right way to think about it. But like, how unseasonable? That, that's a better way. Regardless of whether it's October or November how unseasonably warm do you think it needs to be to where that shade cover crick bottom temperature change, you know, starts to come into play? I think as soon as you get out of the fifties, honestly, mm. uh, you get six, even sixties and sunny. I mean, it, that's it's that warm. time of year also. Yeah. yeah I mean, and they're wearing, Oh, they're wearing their winter coats. Like yeah. they're, they're ready for below zero temperatures if, if that happens. So, you know, they really get sluggish and has a huge effect. And, you know, obviously, you know, and probably quite a few people that are going to listen to this know that I've really paid close attention to weather and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And, you know, had done a lot of studying over the years. And as far mm-hmm. as temperature goes, like it's a big driving factor to whether they're going to move a lot or very little. Right. It's interesting. That we talked about the, the, the slow rut, you know, starting this uh, conversation off because I was literally just texting with a buddy of mine and we were talking about it. Cause he's, I forget how we even started talking about it. <clears throat> he, he shot me a text about something and we got onto the topic of the rut. And yep. then he was like, yeah, he's, he, I'm seeing a lot of does that are very early, like while I'm driving, you know, that I'm seeing that are just like, you know, newborns essentially that they're like just recently dropped, you know? And he yep. was like, and that makes sense. He's like in this area that he, that he lives and hunts. He's like, because, He's like, I didn't see much of anything for rutting activity at the very, very beginning of November. He's like, most of the action that I saw or I saw on trail camera was in that, like, for him, he was like around the 17th to like the 24th or the 24th yep. kind of time frame. He's like, so it's almost like does missed that or a lot of does didn't get bred that first cycle for whatever reason. And a lot of them did the second, you know, coming yep. in. And, Absolutely. Uh, that's I'm, so true. Yeah. And, and I, and what I had mentioned, I was like, it's interesting is like, cause when I looked back, you know, I pulled all my, you know, trail cameras and stuff, um, you know, this spring when I went through and I looked, you know, I found it curious. I was like, huh. I was like, interesting. I was like, I'm not seeing a whole lot of activity, like around the, a little bit, but not like what you would expect around that Halloween through like the third, fourth, fifth, yep. maybe up to the sixth, you know, whatever the case is, you know, whatever the peak rut dates are for your particular area. I was like, but man, it blew up like the 14th to the 24th. I was like, there was a 10 day period where it was just, it was bananas, you know? And, yeah. um, and it would make it, it would make a lot of sense just based on the type of, you know, running activity that I think people saw in the woods. It's like when I'm seeing it on a trail camera. And now when we start watching fawns drop, it's like, it feels like it's playing out. Are you seeing similar things in your neck of the woods? After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that, Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. 
Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Absolutely. That was that. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, and I know that you know this, like, obviously not all the does are bred and within a few days. And right. there's some, some that were bred, you know, probably Halloween or maybe a couple days sooner. Sure. But it did seem late this year. And then I was watching a study that uh, you've probably heard of Dr. James Kroll before. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, they were measuring fetuses up in Michigan. And uh, they said it seemed like it was two weeks late up there, which they were just kind of like stunned, like what the heck happened? So right. this this wasn't just in Pennsylvania. Um, it seemed like a lot of the northern states, uh, things were really late last year. And that's part of, you know, I, I bank a lot of my strategy and my hunting around the rut. And uh, I think, once again, that's part of the reason why I was, you know, a little delayed on filling a tag. Um, just the fact that things really didn't heat up real good until late. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I saw that on my, my cameras too. Yeah. At that point I was actually in Kansas. So I was already, I was only here for like the first, like, I think I want to say maybe it was like this November 2nd I left for Kansas. Um, but it was hot out there too. Now it didn't slow anything down out there. It was, I think on the sixth, I saw 30 deer and like eight bucks. <laughs> so it, 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 it went off as it should out there, but they also deal with a lot warmer temperatures just like in general, you know, in that yep. neck of the woods. And, so, and, and I can tell you too, that mountain deer are a completely different animal. And, and, uh, you know, I know people that have, that have done studies like me and places like Kansas and other places, and they don't see the the same data and numbers that I get from mountain deer. So just amazing how different parts of the country you're almost, it's basically like you're hunting a different species when it comes to whitetail all over the country. Yeah. I mean, cause if you, the guys from, um, whitetail adrenaline, uh, Chansey and, and Jared, like they, especially, I mean, I think this is just how their, their philosophy is in general, but I know for sure when they're in Kansas, man, they hate a cold front in Kansas. They hate it. Yeah. And I've what they, what they've seen year over year is just, Man, when it gets cold, those deer hole up and they don't move. Yep. You know, they were like, "Man, you get like a nice beach sunny day in Kansas." You know, sometime in November, game on. Yep. You know, it's like, and it's just it's so counterintuitive to what we kind of think or see around here. Um, yep. You know that it really is a a little bit of a brain switch to have to go through whenever you when you change. You know, and go to a state like that to where you know some of the things you know to be true, they're still whitetails. They got to do whitetail things, certainly. Um, but the yep. things that maybe drive them to do whitetail things might be a little bit different. Yep, absolutely. You better uh, you better know the deer you're hunting for the state you're hunting because it yeah. could be different. Yeah. But speaking of, uh, I know we we kind of referenced the the study that you've done. You know, and if people out there listening, you know, uh, didn't know. I mean, you've talked about this on a couple of different shows, so we won't go into like the into great detail. But you know, just I guess recap, like you know what you did, and then. Um, you know, what were like the one or two things of that study that you kind of like when you wrapped it all up that really kind of stood out to you that a hunter could take advantage of? Yep. Yeah. So I'll just kind of point out, you know, what I've done over the past, it's probably been about six years now. 
um, just because through my you know, my guide service, I was running so many cameras. I mean, this past year, like 170, 180, uh, most years at least 100. And there's just there's a lot of data and intel, you know, that I was kind of just throwing away every year. I'm like, you know, there's really good information. When I go back through these cards every year, you'd see, you know, certain dates, certain times, you know, different times of the year, like, holy cow, what's going on with the deer, whether it's, you know, increase of activity or decrease. So I started to, when I first did it, you know, I was keeping track of moon phase, barometric pressure, you know, weather fronts, and you name it, and obviously temperature. And then after I did it a couple of years, I mean, I saw I saw changes in patterns related to almost all the features, you know, that I just mentioned. But I was noticing temperature really was the most outstanding. Like temperature was really something that had a big pull on what the deer were doing every day. So, so really, in the past few years, I've limited my most of my focus to just temperature. Um, so what I do is at the end of every season, I pull all the cards and then I, I write down every daytime buck photo that I get out of all those cards. Um, now not to make it too confusing, but when I say photo, um, if I get a picture of a buck and maybe he's, you know, the camera's on a scrape and I get 10 pictures of him, I only count that as one photo. So yeah, it's, it's one, one instance, season, one visit yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So um, I'm not counting every photo. But anyway, so every sequence of movement in the daytime gets counted. And the study goes from October 1st to December 10th, just for the fact that I'm only really interested on what these deer are doing throughout the Pennsylvania archery and gun season. So, um, you know, in the past few years, especially, it's just, I would say overall, once again, it's uh, temperature you know, has been the, the biggest factor that I'm seeing. Um, probably what I've learned the most is it seems like a what I call a 30-30 day, and that's when you at least have a high somewhere anywhere in the 30s and a low temperature of 35 or less. That seems to be like there's never been a day I've done this study in a 30-30 day uh, that hasn't, you haven't had phenomenal movement. So if I've learned anything is pay attention to those, you know, forecasted, you know, 10 day forecasts or however far you feel that, you know, it can be accurate, but really pay attention for when those days are going to come. Can you explain, be, can you explain that one more time? I'm, I'm, I'm a little dense, so okay. I want to, I, I yeah. need to know this. <laughs> yeah. So a exactly. 30, 30 day, how, how can you describe that again for me? Yes. So a 30-30 day is what I call it. And that is when the high temperature, this is in a you know, 24-hour period, when you have a high temperature, it seems like anywhere in the 30s okay. can be fine. But it seems like 30 is the key, somewhere in the 30s. But the low temperature, honestly, is more, means more than the high. Like you, if, you, if you had like a, a 39 and a 37, like a 39-degree high and a 37, it would still be a good day, but not, it wouldn't matter as much unless it was 35 or less. Like that's going through years of studying and like paying wow. attention to all that detail, like below 35 for a low, like in that morning low overall seems to have a phenomenal effect on deer movement. Like you could also have, you could have a 50 degree high 
but say like a 29 degree low, like a super cold morning, you'll see that movement good even throughout the whole day. Wow. Um, it's uh, the low temperature, like I said, is more important than the high. But when you can get the what I call a 30-30 or 20, 20s or even better too, like for a low, but at least somewhere in the high 30s for your high temp and below 35 for your low temp, those are the best days to be deer hunting, at least, at least for mountain deer in this part of the country where I'm hunting. Wow, that's awesome, man. Like that to me is like a nugget worth gold right there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, especially for guys, you know, like, shoot like me, you know, it's, I, I still, I mean, I have some flexibility cause I work remotely and I work from home and stuff like that, but I'm still a working guy and I got to yep. really prioritize if I'm taking a day off or I'm going to like hunt a morning and go and, and sign into work a little later or whatever. Like I'm trying to do it on the best on the day. I have the best odds to see the deer I'm trying to see. And that's in a particular spot, you know, exactly. and you know, if, man, I'm going to be looking at those 30, 30 days pretty hard in the old 10 day <laughs> forecast this year. No, for sure. I, I, it's amazing, honestly. And, and, and in some ways this has had a negative effect on me because like now when it's not that prime of weather, <laughs> I don't have a desire to hunt right. because not the, you can kill a deer at any day, any time, but like your, your chances of success go up so much. Like it's unbelievable. And then I even went back this year and did a study on all the dates I've killed, you know, all my mature deer. And I, th I think it was like eight out of the past 10 have been prime weather days. So wow. then I'm like, Steve, you know, maybe you need to cut back a little bit and just focus <laughs> more on these prime days. And, and honestly, that's really what I'm going to do more. Um, you know, I'm, it's not going to keep me out of the woods being, you know, doing guiding and that, like I can, I'm going to have clients here, no matter what the weather is, I can't predict or, right. you know, I'm, we're going to be hunting no matter what, but as far as my own hunting, uh, especially me being, you know, a little more flexible in my job, like mm -hmm. I'm just more focused on prime weather days anymore. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense. Cause you know, what do we always talk about is, as you know, you know, bow hunters, you know, or deer hunters in general, you know, trying to kill a mature yep. deer, regardless of it's in the mountains or wherever, we're yep. always trying to stack things in our, in our favor. Like if you're looking for a, a tree to hunt, like you're always looking for like that sign and like multiple things to kind of come together, whether it's like, there's a scrape here that, that, you know, a rub line leads to it and it's now, and it's at this like pinch point or it's in this thermal hub or whatever the case is. Like we're looking for multiple things to converge yep. to give us the best chance at that spot. Right. It's the same yep. thing when you're picking a day to hunt. It's like what factors are all coming together for you to make that day the best day to possibly hunt, especially if you're on limited time. Yep. And you know what I find like most of the time here in the mountains, like, these bucks don't move a lot. So yeah. you're, you're in a small circle per se. And like a lot of times I know where that circle is, but yet it's not easy to figure out how I can get in there and hunt that deer without spooking them, whether it's my scent noise or anything like that, or you might still be in that circle, but that circles 15, 20 acres. And it's still almost like to get an opportunity, it still takes a great amount of luck versus on a prime weather day, that deer is going to cover 20 times more ground. He's going to be out of his core area, working scrapes, rub lines, looking for does. Like he's a completely different animal. And if you know places where that deer likes to go, whether it's based on past history or just, you know, your own instincts, but knowing that, hey, that deer is going to cover a ton of ground today. 
and or if you get like a good you know like maybe a three day stretch of really good weather you can hunt the same spot even three days in a row knowing he's going to show up one of these three days right like that's the kind of stuff that i'm hunting like and that's what i'm taking advantage of right now did you see any was there anything that stood out to you about wind you know whether it was direction or maybe even more interestingly you know wind speeds um, wind speed up here does not have a huge effect unless, unless you get a little closer to winter. Like if it's like mid to late November and you get a lot of wind and it's really cold, like it does seem to push deer down low. Um, they'll get out of it. But, um, I will say another thing though, that I've noticed in this, I've even, even written some of it down is it's, it seems like if you get an east wind, it really messes up deer movement too. And I think cause it's so rare Yeah, and you know, a lot of deer basing their, you know, betting on it and just their overall movements too. Like knowing the wind usually comes from this or that direction. It's something completely different. Those days seems to really, I see a lot of poor movement, but yeah. other than that, uh, wind speed or wind direction, I, I don't see a, a ton you know, of change. Yeah. And, and the bummer was, was this year, I'm thinking like this couple fronts we had at the beginning of October this year, yep. I, you know, talking about East winds, right. I'm pretty sure one of them was almost like a dead East at one point. Yes. And, yep. and I was all excited about it. But then when I looked, I was like, man, I do not have a single setup for an East wind, <laughs> like not a single, you know what I mean? Because you get like yep. predominantly South Southwest. Right. And so like exactly. pretty much every location I go into, it's like, I'm looking at it for access on like, South Southwest winds, you know, and I'm wanting to make sure I can hunt a North wind, you know, when we get a front, you know, or, and make sure I can hunt a South or a Southwest, you know, in these setups and yep. East wind rolled in and I'm like, Oh, this is good. Like I always hear all, you know, people talk about, you know, big deer making mistakes because it screws up their bedding. Cause it's so such an oddball wind to get. And yep. I didn't have a, I didn't have a tree worth a squat. <laughs> to, yep. to, to hunt yeah. that particular i mean i still went out and hunted but it it it, it 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 could have been a lot better i guess i should say yeah and and i in my point maybe other people haven't seen this but i've seen decrease in movement because i think the deer just like holy cow this isn't normal and anytime they lose sense of security mm-hmm. they tend to bed more than anything else and i think that's what you'll see a lot on a east wind it'd be interesting to see if like if an east wind if it happens in the middle of the day versus at night, if there's a difference right to where it's yeah. like that, you know, or maybe even more specifically, if it's happening like as the morning is coming, as they're heading back to bed, because sure. like that almost like a wind switch at the last minute when they're headed back to bed, when they still feel comfortable because they got that twilight, do yep. they make any additional mistakes or move any further because of that? Cause I can totally see, middle of the day if that wind switch happens and it's an east wind it's like and it's just screws them all up they would just they could potentially just hunker down you know yeah that's what i think happens but like you said i think depending on when it hits it could also work in your favor uh but overall most hunters an east wind usually makes it way more challenging i I don't want to i don't want to see many east winds (laughs) in this hunting season i doubt we will but you never like to see that right right well, man, so you mentioned, you know, the number of cameras that you run, you know, yep. um, and I, I know we were talking about offline before we started recording a little bit that, you know, this is a question I get, you know, a fair amount, just, you know, uh, Greg Litzinger always kind of makes fun that I find big deer on camera, no matter where I hang a camera, it's just like they show up, you know, it's like, like a, 
like there's a magnet or something. Um, okay. And uh, and so I'm just kind of curious, you know, what your truck camera strategy is. And, and what I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of limit you because, you know, I don't, I don't run 180 or whatever number of cameras, but you know, for a regular dude, I run a fair amount of cameras, especially in the big woods piece where me and a couple of buddies pull cameras together. And so, you know, myself, I might run 25 and then my buddies might also run, you know, 10 for one and 15 for another. Yep. So between the three of us, we probably have like 40 cameras out, you know what I mean? Um, but if we're talking to the normal guy who maybe has five cameras, you know, and he's headed to a new piece, you know, of big woods somewhere, you know, yep. where, you know, where and on what type of setups would you hang those camera to help you to help you build a plan for the fall? If that's the situation you were in. Yeah. Um, well, you know, as an individual, like, you know, if I'm targeting, you know, a certain deer and this isn't really, you know, as far as how I run them for guiding and all that, but <clears throat> to target an individual deer, I like to do what they call cluster cameras. Uh -huh. Um, I like to have cameras in places where, Maybe I can get intel from that deer, you know, it's probably just night intel, but somewhere that I can maybe get an idea how far away he's betting, uh, if he's still around, direction of travel, but yet, like, know that if even if I check that camera every day or three times a week, it's not going to bother him. But yet, back in further, I can also have cameras that are a little more crucial to my to my hunting setups but usually like i said i'll have i'll start with these these cameras that might be just something down in a creek bottom a buck is you know coming down for water every night um you know maybe there's a big community scrape down there that he's just kind of you know mingling with other deer and socializing but then from there you know i will have cameras around his bedding that or at least potential bedding um i love to look for scrapes near bedding i've always said that you know, a lot of people think when a buck gets up out of bed that, you know, his belly's empty, he's ready to go ahead to a main food source. But I kind of think a little bit differently that most of the bedding areas I've ever found, there actually is usually a ton of food in there. Mm -hmm. uh, generally just browse though. You know, bucks are up feeding a lot in their bedding areas throughout the day browsing. So I don't think they're coming out of the bedroom as hungry as what people think. But what I think they have a lot on their mind is there's usually some scrapes or rub line or something in like that neutral zone between his core area and to what the other deer are doing in his area. There's usually, usually a spot where, you know, he's communicating with other deer or wants to see with, you know, what other deer are kind of around the perimeter of his core area. And a lot of times it's a scrape. So I'd love to have a camera on, on scrapes just outside of bedding. Um, that's, that's a camera though, that I'm often not checking though, Right. but I might be able to down in that Creek bottom know that, okay, this deer's looks like he's bedding on this East slope or he's always coming from that direction. That Creek bottom camera might still give me that Intel. And especially like if I'm getting that deer, you know, several hours after dark, but you can see he's coming off the mountain okay, we know that deer is bedding way up the mountain somewhere. Right. Um, you know, but then also I'm thinking, okay, well, what's that buck doing in the rut? Um, I'm still keeping an eye on food sources, doe bedding, you know, and what does are doing. And I, you know, I kind of, when it comes to an individual deer, like I, I think early season situations, I think rut situations, and I'll just cluster cameras all over his home range 
you know, basically for the whole season to, to try to, you know, get a crack at them. Um, I think especially in the big woods, like if you were to put all your focus, like, you know, how a lot of people do in other parts of the country, like early season, I, I actually think the early season in the big woods is, is the hardest time to, yeah. to kill a mature buck. So I don't put all my cards or all my eggs in one basket. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of, you know, know that it's going to be a long grind and, you know, I'm, I'm using those cameras based on the whole season, you know, depending on what I think that deer is going to do at different times. You know, I'm trying to get intel all throughout that, you know, hunting season. Yeah. You know, what I always say, if someone's limited to, you know, just say five cameras or whatever is like, is basically kind of what you're saying, which is like put cameras out in places that you think are going to be high value spots. Right. Yep. And then, and let them sit. And you may not kill that deer this year, but getting that year over year data is the part that is most critical because if that deer is using a particular, so you learn about that one deer and then if other deer end up coming in to use it, say he dies or whatever the case is, like there's some similarities that are going to occur between the different bucks that are going to use that area because there's a reason that they're there. And that reason, as long as the environment doesn't change, will, will be constant. You know, it's like there's a funnel there, there's a food source there, there's great bedding there, there's a, you know, there's a lot of communication, you know, a communication hub that's there or whatever the case is, you know. So in yep. that long-term data is the thing that like, you know, really helps you kind of fine-tune your game plan. Yep. I know the the buck I killed in 2021, um, I basically went off of what I had that deer in, in, uh, 2020, as far as camera intel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of my starting point. And it, that's exactly what led me to take that deer. I, you know, I really didn't have that deer figured out or had any intel that deer outside of the rut. Mm-hmm. But even though I killed him in the rut, I ended up finding where he was batting. I have pictures of that deer from late spring all the way till November 6th when I killed him. But my point is like going back, checking cards and, you know, kind of really combing over the Intel from the prior season of an individual deer. Like that was a true scenario that like, Holy cow, that really did have an impact on me taking that buck. That was last year's, uh, you know, data that I got from him that really ended his life and put him on my wall. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious, man, you know, it's, it's just take the same individual that we're talking, this hypothetical individual we're talking about who has these five cameras, yep. you know, let's talk about summer, you know, cause we're in summer right now. Um, especially in the, in the big woods, like where are you, like, where do you find the most success with summer trail camera pictures? And this is kind of leading to another question that I have as we kind of, as we kind of, as we kind of go, but like, where, where do you kind of prioritize to kind of find a joker that maybe you've been looking for and you're like, all right, I know he's around here somewhere. I want to find him early. Cause I want to f- try to piece some things together. What are those kind of high value kind of locations that you're looking for, for summer truck ca- or for, for a summer truck camera hiding because an ag country or smaller parcels or whatever, you know, field edges and stuff like that are, are, are great. But you know, where you and I are hunting predominantly, it's like, we don't have access to those. And so we have to look for other things. What are those things that you're looking for? Yep. Uh, most years, you know, for summer Intel, like if you have clear cutting, like they love like those one to three year old cuts because it's basically a food plot. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so I call them big woods food plots. Like 
here on public land, you you are not allowed to make a food plot, but anytime there's fresh logging, it pretty much does that. Like mature bucks, especially this time of year, there's there's not a lot in their lives. Like there's not a lot going on, but just eat and rest. All security as well. You know, they got to have water, although they're getting a lot of water out of what they eat, but they're still going to be, you know, near a water source. But it's food, water, and security this time of year. So when whenever you have like a massive abundance, like of browse, like a young clear cut, um, it it has everything that that deer needs. Like especially if he doesn't um, have to move around much, like deal with the hot temps and keep his belly full. Like that's absolutely where a buck is going to be. Now I will say this year, when you know, because we had these drought conditions. It seemed like this year, I mean, clear cuts are still really good, but a lot of them don't have a, much for shade. And it really yeah. seems like deer are pounding, like mature bucks are pounding jewel weed right now. Mm-hmm. And this People might think, like, this guy is just getting too crazy. But <laughs> in this past week, like, I'm telling you, everywhere I'm seeing jewel weed is just mowed down. Mm-hmm. If you don't know about jewel weed, um, it loves to grow in wet, damp, shady areas. Like, you'll find it growing underneath hemlocks. and. Mm-hmm. Like today scouting too, I found this 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 spring coming off of the bottom of a mountain um that was just you know soaked in water, but jewelweed still growing in it like seems like this year jewelweed is a huge key so um but overall it's it's just it's high abundance of browse security is still a decent decent aspect or decent thing you gotta keep in mind, however, there's really not much for human pressure, you know, in the summer, except for you know, a few people scouting and some campers, but they, they still don't want to be disturbed. Um, but other than that, it's, they're very simple minded this time of year, but just to, sometimes it's still hard to find them because they, they tend to be in these more abundantly, like these heavy browse area. And if, if you don't know, or like these major pockets of, of browse and you know summer food source is available then it seems like the mature deer are harder to find yeah it's it's interesting because i saw you made an instagram post about this and and it was interesting because i had been thinking about this a lot lately and you know yeah like you mentioned those clear cuts are nice like those are some like nice kind of obvious like you know food plots in the in the big woods right but what you just kind of mentioned there and what you kind of mentioned in that uh post you made was finding that that old warrior, you know, is oftentimes secluded off in off the beaten path and a patch of that abundance that you're talking about. And the only way you find that is by walking because you can't see it on a map. There's no way to know that it's, that it's there. You know what I mean? And that's actually where I've been finding probably my best, like, uh, mature buck inventory in the big woods is in those areas. Like I've had some stuff on, um, on clear cuts in the first year it produced really well last yep. year it didn't, but it was really hot. Like you kind of mentioned, you know what I mean? And like drought conditions and stuff like that. And this year probably kind of the same, same deal, but where I ended up getting a bunch of my best inventory was actually in those out of the way little nooks and crannies that are along like a, you know, I call them like micro habitats that kind of pop up out of nowhere and it might be 50 yards off of a, off of a drainage or something yep. like that. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like where I started finding some really good, um, some really good inventory. Is that what you're kind of talking about when you talk about those kind of like abundance yep. areas? Absolutely. And another thing to keep in mind is the clear cuts are just becoming the thing. Like, yeah. And it's, 
I'm sure there's guys that are going to be listening to this podcast at the same time, scrolling through their phone, looking for clear cuts, like everybody's doing that anymore. And the technology is so advanced. You can find a one-year-old cut, a three-year-old cut. Like it's just, it's so easy to, to use that strategy and doesn't take a lot of footwork. I mean, you can do it all from home for the most part. So think some mature deer are catching on to that because, you know, they're sensing more human pressure around these cuts. And I think it turns into a similar situation like, okay, it might be the feeding area, but yet he might not be bedding there as well. Like you may see a lot of sign around a cut, but doesn't mean that deer's going to be living there because it's getting, you know, too much human pressure. So those more harder to find areas that require, you know, the boots on the ground and you have to put a little more thought into like, that's really been the key for me in the past couple of years as well. But honestly, I like that. I like it when, cause I'm a boots on the ground scouter anyways. Right. Like I like to, I like to know that what I found, I highly doubt anyone else has found like to right. know you have that on public land. Like that definitely helps a, a guy sleep better during deer season. So <laughs> that's the scenario that I'm looking for. And uh, yeah. it's good to see that the mature deer kind of, fallen into that category of hunting. Right. And so, so I asked these questions because this next one is something I've been thinking, like I've been thinking a lot about the stuff we've been talking about. And then this is the, the next one that have, I've been kind of pondering. Cause like I said, this is, this will be your number three on this big woods piece. Um, yep. and I finally feel like I have enough of the puzzle pieces to where last year, I, I think I hunted it only four days. I want to say last year. And I saw like, I think I saw two bucks, um, in those four days, which was, like, That's not bad. Yeah, pretty pretty good. And in uh yeah. and I had an encounter, I think, with a third. You know, I'm kind of pseudo not counting it, and I'm pretty sure it was the one I was trying to kill. And he was bedded, you know, 30 yards from the tree I was trying to get into. I didn't realize he was gonna be bedded that close. Um, <laughs> and blew that opportunity. But in what I'm starting to learn in this piece, and it took me a hot minute, because typically, you know, where I hunt locally, if I get summer pictures of a deer, you know, and where I hunt locally, the, the parcels are smaller. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they're not, you know, they're not big woods or your normal average size, um, pieces of public land that are in and around like suburban areas, if you will, you know, um, yep. and those deer typically whenever I would get a good deer on camera, let's say, you know, let's take a summer and say, I got, you know, five good bucks on camera, um, that are shooter, shooter caliber or, or, you know, let's just say three and a half years of age or older, you know, for this area. Um, and out of those five bucks that I might have on camera during the summer, I'll be lucky if one of them stays relatively close to where I had initially found him, you know, like where when they transition and they peel their velvet, like by and large, most of them are gone and I'll probably never get them on another camera the rest of the year, you know? Mm -hmm. Whereas what I'm seeing in the big woods is like, I'm finding these summer little hot spots where I'm getting awesome inventory and if I find five really good deer in that particular area or whatever number it is, like I would say at least half of those deer are sticking around and they, they may not, I may not get them on that exact camera again, like once they peel velvet, but yep. I'm probably going to get them on a camera that might be two, 300 yards away. Like they didn't Absolutely. leave the County. They just kind of slightly shifted because of like the foliage is changing or the food slightly changed or whatever the case is, but they're not leaving like the area. Like they're they're. It's almost like they're going to stay in their home range to a degree, but just kind of yeah. shift like how much time they're spending in a specific area of that range. 
Eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com waypointpod50 to get 50% off. Yep, you're 100% right. Um, that's exactly what I see. And I get asked this question all the time, especially this time of year. Like, a lot of guys think it's worthless to be running cameras right now because, you know, there's going to be a big shift. And it's, you know, they think that, okay, whatever I get now, I'm not even going to be able to find, you know, once hunting season comes. And, you know, that may be true in certain areas mm-hmm. throughout the country, but, you know, up my way and from what I've encountered you know my whole life of hunting like the majority of these bucks hang around more than what people think and where a lot of people screw up is like they'll have one camera in a specific spot the summer and that buck disappears and uh, so they either won't adjust Mm -hmm. and they think okay he's 10 miles away or i mean i'm exaggerating but still they think he's gone or uh they'll just pull the camera out and leave and i've seen it both ways like i'll see bucks not real like say if i have a camera on a community scrape right now and i might get a buck on camera you know five or six times there throughout the summer but then it seems like you know most of september and at least the first half of october that deer doesn't show up there at all and you would think okay he's gone but yet if you left that camera there all of a sudden he starts showing back up again you know maybe around halloween a little sooner a little later Mm -hmm. But most people don't wait it out or like what you said is they don't have enough cameras in that area to maybe catch on to the fact that, okay, a spuck is on a different food source. He might've changed his bedding. I mean, there's habitat changes from summer to fall that are going to cause that deer to do different things. And, you know, that's where a lot of people just give up. They don't, they don't try to adjust and you know stay on a deer so that's exactly what happens and um the majority of mature deer that i find i would say 60 70 percent they might have a square mile that they spend a lot of time in but that's really where they spend most of their time the whole year it's not you know sometimes in the rut yes they'll really expand their range especially you know after they breed those first groups of does near their core areas but Overall, you know, these deer hang into a smaller area than what most people think. Yeah. And the other thing, tell me if this is crazy talk too, but like what I've started noticing, and I haven't run as many trail cameras and I don't have as many years with this piece as you have with the, you know, with where you hunt. Mm-hmm. But what I started to notice too was just the older the buck was when I get him on camera in the summer, you know, not only do most of the deer that I'm finding, like, you know, mature deer that I'm finding do they don't transition as far as like I would have originally thought, but mm-hmm. also the older the deer is that I'm finding on camera in the summer, 
the the less likely it is that he's that he's going to move very far at all. Like yep. like the more mature he is, the, the more steadfast he is kind of in that spot is what I'm kind of seeing. Do you see some, yeah. anything similar to that too? Yep, I do. Is The only problem that I find, you know, on public land is because there's so many people running cameras anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I, if anyone has like told people you need to run trail cameras, not to brag, but it's me, but there's a lot of local people that have really caught on to my strategy, right. which I'm fine with. But my point is, is seems like some of these big deer are getting bumped around a little bit because there's so many people knowing about some of these bigger deer in my areas that, mm-hmm. you know, through trail cameras that, they're, I'm not saying they're shifting far, but I, my point is you have to keep an eye on, is this deer being hunted by other people? Do other people know about this deer? Because, you know, constant human activity in some of these areas is going to drive that deer to do some different things. But right. if you're hunting a low-pressure scenario, which preferably I like that, um, that deer might do the same exact thing year after year as long as there's no changes especially to his habitat. Like if he's got everything going for himself, he's got all his needs and bases covered in one general spot. He's probably just going to continue to do that until somehow he dies. Right. And and this is the other hypothesis I came up 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 with. And I want to run it by you because you just, you have way more experience in the mountains than I do. When you find those, what I kind of call those micro habitats, or you kind of, you know, you kind of call those areas of abundance, you know, and I'm not talking the, the clear cut necessarily i'm talking about those small little hidey ones that you find like with the boot with boots on the ground if you find a good deer that's in one of those one of those areas that's oftentimes where i'm finding like the those bucks being homebodies and my hypothesis was you know i've never been out where you out where you hunt so i don't know you know exactly what the woods looks like there but this spot that i'm at like it's so it's so open like you could walk a mile, maybe two in one direction and just not run across a single piece of deer sign. Cause it's just so wide open. And then you hit sure. these pockets of just like abundance, like you're talking about. And yep. my thinking is, is that they stay in those areas because why transition? Because the next section of abundance m- might be two miles from there or three miles from sure. there or whatever. And if they have everything in that one spot, they're going to stay relatively close to that until they exhaust whatever yep. is there. You know, does that make yeah, any you, sense? Do you see anything similar to that? Absolutely. You have to factor in that a mountain deer, like he, he whether if he's going to make a long trip for a certain reason, like he's going to burn off a lot of energy. And I think mm-hmm. that's why the mature ones tend to be homebodies. And especially, you know, early in the fall or right after the rut, but those periods where he can't afford to burn up a lot of energy or before the rut, he's got to preserve calories like, those are times of the year when he's looking for those, what you call micro habitats, like mm-hmm. somewhere where I can just hold up, you know, keep my belly full, pack on the fat reserves, stay away from hunters. Like if he's got it all there, like that's exactly what he's looking for. And mm-hmm. and that's why, you know, I keep talking more and more about, I think if anything I'm doing right and that I would advocate for other hunters to do is start doing more of that boots on the ground type hunting and not as much, you know, uh, you know, on the internet satellite and so forth. Like, because and you're seeing it and I think a lot of other people are going to like, that's really what these mature deer are starting to adjust to is they're, they're catching on to 
you know, the, the anything that everyone else was looking for that, you know, and they're finding those more hidden gems that in, in my opinion is, is, is really the way to be hunting anymore. Yeah. And the only way you really find those is like you were saying, man, is just, you got to get out and walk. And even like this, yep. you know, even like this time of year, it's like, I, I'm the first to admit, I hate scouting in the summer. Like, I just don't like it, yep. <laughs> you know, call yep. me a wimp or sissy or whatever, you know, I'm just not, I'm just not a big fan of it, but uh-huh. you know, the more I do it, you know, over the years, it's like the more I find, you know, value. And I just think anytime you can spend time in the woods is, is time well spent. But, oh, absolutely. you know, what do you, when you're out in the summer this time of year and you're checking trail cameras and, and, you know, maybe you're doing some scouting and stuff like that, you know, what are you looking for right now and how is it different from what you look for maybe say in, you know, during your in-season scouting? Yep. Well, what I like about the summer is there's a lot of unanswered questions for the upcoming season where I'm starting to get answers like, okay, I'm starting to be able to see what mass crops are available. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm even starting to get a feel like how you're starting to sense, like, looks like we're probably going to have drought conditions, you know, low water levels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm more trying to to develop a list of what are the ingredients for success this coming season. Like, yes, I can, I can take advantage of postseason scouting in the late winter and early spring. And, you know, overall, yeah, that's my favorite time. But now I can really tell what I'm going to be dealing with this coming fall. And that's really, you know, what I'm doing right now. I'm also seeing like, you know, I'm, I'm more of just a mature buck hunter overall, but like, obviously I'm probably going to want to hunt the deer that the biggest antlers as well. So like now I'm also able to, you know, start to get an idea, you know, and it's a little early, but say another month from now, like, okay, you know, that's, that deer is going to be a giant. Like, right. like, so really this is where the, the, the plan really starts to get written now. Um, and I'll know what, what food that deer is going to be eating. Um, you know, and all those little things really start to pop up throughout the summer where you can really develop a plan versus, you know, like I said, in the postseason, you, you can get to know a deer and, and get to know his areas, but every year is going to be a little bit different. You know, you don't have control over, his environment. So it's nice to be able to really, you know, put some things in the stone on what you're going to do this fall. Right. Yeah. I love that, man, where you start to get a glimpse, right? Cause I feel like, yeah, I felt like this personally where, you know, cause in a lot of years I've done like, you know, most of my scouting in the postseason, hung all my cameras, you know, I'm a, I'm a guy who, you know, this year I was late to the game with my cameras. I didn't get, I finally got all of them out last weekend. They got out um, mm. or the rest of them got out but I usually like to have almost everything done by the time like turkey season comes in or finish everything up during the beginning of turkey season, you yeah. know, and then I'm basically out of the woods until, you know, for me, I might do a camera check and like, shoot, I, I usually don't check them to probably about the sometime after the, uh, I think it's like the 22nd or something of August, just cause I know there's mm-hmm. a date there where, um, I want to ask you that question too there's a date in there that I've talked to Chad Sylvester about that. He kind of picked up from the Drury's that like, you'll around that time frame of like the 18th to the 20th, roughly you'll get yep. some new bucks that'll show up out of nowhere that you haven't seen yep. all year. And those are typically the ones you could expect to probably move into the area when, when sure. fall, when fall rolls around. But, you know, I, I typically am not, you know, spending a lot of time, um, in the woods in the summer and it has bitten me because of the first time I get a glimpse as to what's going on. Like did the mass trees produce this year? 
is does that does that seep still hold water or whatever the case is like I'm finding it out as I'm trying to hunt it <laughs> and that's kind of what yep. happened last year and I was I was up the creek without a paddle essentially yep you know well you look at it this way like in you know in the big woods like to to find something out like you know or doing it in the fall like to find out does this ridge have acorns might you might have it might take you hours to get to a certain spot but if you can go in there in the summer and in the you know you could take two or three hour hike somewhere check a remote ridge and be like okay yeah there's feed here or whatever you know mm-hmm. you, you think going to have an impact on the, on that environment for that deer come season like to get that figured out now saves you so much time in the fall and and you don't you also can can you know not really you know, impact or, you know, put as much intrusion into an area when you know all these things ahead of time as well. Like you don't have to go zigzagging every inch looking for that one or two oaks that are producing. Like those are definitely things that you can find out now and save you a lot of work and really, you know, have a huge impact on, on your success because, you know, you're not bumping these deer around and trying to figure everything out when the game's already started. Right. So when you locate one in the summer, you know, and say one does kind of shift a little bit, right. And maybe you lose track of him. How are you going about trying to kind of relocate him for, for fall? Like what's your, what's your method for doing that? Yeah, I will say I'm probably not even, I wouldn't even call myself good at like, say the first time you get a deer all summer, uh, or, or it's the first time you've ever encountered a big deer. Like he just shows up in the summer and then all of a sudden he disappears late August or sometime in September. Like I do struggle to, to find a deer if I don't have any history with that deer. Right. But where I have had a lot of success is because I'm running so many cameras, like a lot, and it might not even be, like it might be a month or two or even further away, but then all of a sudden, eventually I find that deer going by one of my cameras somewhere like it may be two three miles away but usually my point is like usually i've got on a deer shift like a year in advance like okay because i run so many cameras in such a wide stretch of area like i see where this deer went you know he disappeared in in beginning of september but then look at him here he is second week october all over this one area on this one camera like Mm -hmm. In, but usually I'm ahead of that after a year of history with a deer. Right. But I will say to, I I also think it's you're it's a huge gamble to really beat down the woods in search of a deer that has disappeared. Um, and I know there's probably some people that that are you know might not like that answer, but I think you can almost push a deer out. But I you know we touched on this earlier. Like I love to hunt deer that I have a year or more of history with like Mm -hmm. it's it's so much it makes the strategy uh you know the game plan it it really it makes it a lot more better when you can think it out for a year and study that deer and the intel you have and sometimes i've hunted them for multiple years every year you get to know that deer better but in the first year of getting to know a deer i always say that's the toughest i'm more of a guy that likes to just sit back and hope he makes it and we'll see what happens from there. Yeah. And that's where that, 
you know, year over year, long-term data starts to come into play. And then, you know, maybe even if you find a new deer that comes in out of nowhere, if you've run trail cameras in a general area for, let's say, three years, yep. you might have a pretty good idea if he's spending time in this area, what other deer prior to that in previous seasons has done. Sure. And that'll at least give you a direction as to far as like, hey, yeah, I know that there's a big scrape down here and there's a feed tree and I know there's a really good bedding area up here and he's kind of making the same general route. Like he's coming from the same general direction. So I wonder if he's using those same things, right? Like you at least have like, uh, terrain and habitat data in, in yep. movement related to that, 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 that might apply to that particular deer. Absolutely. Yep. That's something to consider. Right. For sure. The, uh, Man, well, I know I've I've had you on here for about an hour, buddy, and I want to be sensitive to your <laughs> sensitive to your time. I could sit here and talk to you all day. We might have to trade some text messages or something because I'm I'm getting a little I'm getting an education here myself, and I'm feeling after talking to you just now, I'm feeling a lot better about my chances this fall in the Big Woods piece. So you got you got me set right, buddy. I think I'm good. <laughs> well, at least I've done that. If I've helped you and no one else, I'll still feel good about myself. <laughs> hey, it's all about me, dude. That's what we're trying to do. I'm just kidding. Man. Uh, before I let you run out of here, though, um, let folks know where they can find out more about you, what you have going on. Because I think you have some like summer scouting classes and stuff that are going on too, right? Yep. Yeah. So that's just something that I do. You know, this year is going to be pretty much every Friday in July. Um, they'll go from like noon to four o'clock. 4 p.m. Um, they're entirely in the field. Usually take about six to eight guys out every Friday. Uh, it's just, a, it's never anything like, you know, as far as when I got into guiding, like it was, that was something that I planned to do. But this was something that just kept getting a ton of requests. You know, a ton of people are like, hey, Steve, you know, we'd be willing to just pay to spend uh, some time with you in the woods. So, I've just kind of taken advantage of that and, you know, I really like doing it. I, I, you know, just like these podcasts, I love to, to share what I know and, you know, and, and see, see it have an impact on other hunters. So yeah, that's, that's something awesome. I'll be doing every Friday from, you know, basically July through September that I'm also doing, um, uh, a weekend class, uh, two days, uh, you know, in our camp. Um, and that's going to be August 12th and 13th. So if anyone's interested in that, reach out to me on, you know, Facebook or Instagram. So, but yeah, that's, that's what's going on this summer. And I still do have just a few spots left, uh, for, uh, this fall too. If anyone is interested in the hunt, feel free to reach out to me there as well. Cool. And what's the, uh, what's the website address and what's the, uh, your handle on, uh, social media? Yeah, well, anymore, um, I got rid of my website because honestly, I couldn't keep up with, couldn't keep up with the website nor the amount of calls and messages I was getting. So, uh, I've just, all I have anymore is social media on Instagram or Facebook. It's, if if you don't know of me at all, it's Shirk's Guide Service, S-H-E-R-K apostrophe S, Guide Service. Uh, feel free to look me up, give me a follow or like, or shoot me a message, uh, I'm I'm always looking forward to getting to know new people, especially when they're deer hunters. Awesome, buddy. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on. You're one of the good ones, man. I always enjoy talking to you, and uh, nothing but success to you. And hopefully, I'll uh, hopefully I'll have some cool pictures to send you this fall, some uh, of a, of a big woods buck after this conversation. No, thanks a lot for having me. I definitely uh, want you to keep in touch, and uh, if you you know, I'd love to get back on. Uh, I feel like we uh, just slightly touched on 
on deer hunting. Like there's so much more. So yeah. if you want to even get me back on before the fall comes, feel free to. I definitely enjoy talking to you. Let's make a plan to do that. All right, bud. Take care. You have a great night. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Genesee Beer. And until next time, we'll see y'all.